like that. Everyone got one. What's your opinion? This is the rare room. Tongues won't be bitten. Ain't no rules, just spill it. And anybody can get it. No limit. We get to kill it. You tuning into the thrillers. And no, ain't no stopping. No. Any topic. Even the random. We get to random. I hope that you're ready. We entering in the zone soon. We on a grown shit. Welcome to the random room. What's up, y'all? It's your boy, Hilliard Guest, and you guys are listening to the Screenwriters Rant Room, where we keep it real, we keep it opinionated, we keep it what, y'all? 2022. (laughs) You know how we do it on the Rant Room. On this show, we discuss entertainment, TV, film, music, culture, but our focus is always screenwriting, stories, craft, and shit like that. You hear their voices. Chris Derrick in the building. Linnell White. Y'all know how we do it. What's up, everybody? How you guys doing? Ain't seen y'all in a minute. (laughs) <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. I know it's. I think it's been. I think my last episode on the show was right before I got on. On I got the new job on Equalizer, so it's right. probably been two months, right? Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Was it our 400 episode? Was it that one? I think it was. The last one I did was the one with, um, the dude from who's running Bel Air. Oh, his name? okay, Rashid. Rashid. Yeah, Rashid. Yeah, yeah. Rashid Newsom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So th- I think I think that might have been episode four hundred. And then I, I missed you. I, I, yeah, and Chris, I was there for the episode with Kelly Edwards, but you weren't there. So it was me and Tracy mm-hmm. yeah, holding it down since you were indisposed. Pretending like you got a job. <laughs> yeah, I've been indisposed a lot. I've, 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 it's been. Um, it's How many weeks there? It's we just finished the what the second month, so we got. There's at least three more months left, um, at least. Because you and I, I think we started, I started my job and you started the room, I think, on the same day, if I recall. Yeah, I started I on May, the- I have May 16th or something on mine. What do you I know? started on the 9th. I started, started okay, on- Okay, you were, that's right. I, was, I started the week after that. Yeah, the week that's before, right. yeah, yeah. 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 I think I'm going in week seven or eight or something right now. Yeah, and not, yeah, and we just finished week eight. So, um, it's. I mean, look, it's been, it's been crazy- um, the, 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 like the workloads different on, I just think this, I think is interesting is the workload is different on, uh, you know, a serialized show than what it is on a, you know, like a procedural, you know, because there's less, I mean, like I never had the amount of stuff to do on the weekends on Star Trek, you know, like okay. reading the stuff and being, um, it's just like, I, I, it's just like, there's, you know, because on Star Trek, when we had planned out, so when we did season three, which hasn't aired yet, but you know, like we spent the same amount of time, like, um, no, we spent more time. We spent like about a month blue skying it, you know, and like, whereas by the time I remember we were just locking in on some key points by like Memorial Day, like last year on Star Trek, the third season. And we started on like April 30th. And so about that first month. And then, but then like this year on Memorial Day, I think we already had broke three episodes. You know, we, we had done the blue sky and all that shit. And it was like, I mean, it's it's just different because I mean, I realize this because since you're telling a single episode, a single story every week, 
there's there's you have to do a lot more to kind of like break it and and you know and get it firm and, and get it firm and make sure that everyone you know whose network and studio and all, and all the non-writing producers are are cool with what you're doing and the approval and you know there's the story errors the outlines and stuff like that you know that we didn't do we, we didn't i mean we did them to a degree but not there were it's just different you know because we were like trying to tell us a singular story and there was a lot of things that it was like if you're cool with what we set up in the first episode then the rest of the stuff you can't really question you know because we told you the design of the season here's the big season arc and we're just like and we're just like playing it out if things don't make sense to you because there's a mystery in play you know in an episode or an outline or whatever it is i guess that's just it's just not going to make sense it's not supposed to make sense to you you're supposed to be confused or not clear because it's going to get unraveled you know, in, in two episodes or three episodes, wherever it is, you know, like, whereas in, in this one, you know, the network wants everything very, very clear. They're very, very standalone. Clear. Yeah. Well, they're all standalone, you know, I mean, you know, the, the thing is I do like about it is that we've met the, with the cast, you know, like we met with three of the cast um, just to talk with them and see what they wanted to hear and talk about, get their ideas and their input and their, and talk about what the episodes that they loved and episodes that they like worked very much with the writers the last season and everything like that and what they wanted to see and we were able to talk to them and like ask them ideas and ask them questions about their character and everything like that whereas on Star Trek we didn't do that at all, <laughs> we, you know, but, it, but, but as everyone knows, you know, the third season, we're bringing back the cast from the next gen. It's like, we didn't even want to tell them what we were doing. We yeah. just wanted to like, so, so we wanted to be a surprise for them. So, but there was no time for, um, to have those kind of conversations and those calls, you know, you know, what's interesting though, I was thinking about, even like back, and I don't know if you've done this, Linnell, on any of the shows you've been on, but we did it also on Deadly Class where we had all of our like five or six leads come in to the writer's room and we like literally like one after another for like an hour, we would just have them come in and we'd be talking to them, just really getting to learn about them. And one of the actresses I remember came in with her own little mood board of her character. And we all were like blown away because it was more stuff than... I think the the showrunners had, and we were like, "Holy crap!" She went in on her character, and somebody suggested maybe we need to do that part. See that little thing that she had, you know what I mean? So I think it could be helpful in some instances because we, we definitely. Go ahead, I'm sorry. I hundred percent agree. Um, if and when I'm a showrunner one day, mm-hmm. I am a definite proponent of the actors at least doing a drive by. Right. Yeah. That way, you the the you know the, the writing staff can hear how their voices sound. Just, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's one thing to watch it on TV, but when someone's physically in, in you know, in bodily form in front of you and you're, and you're 10 feet away, it just is a different thing. And you can sort of notice their mannerisms. You can notice some phrases they might use, and then you can sneak that into their own character, you know, kind of merge, you know, merge the two. Um, I've been on shows where the cast was welcome in the writer's room. And then I was on a show where the cast was not allowed to come by the writer's room. What's up with that? That's weird. Um, well, no, I, I mean, I, no, I, I mean, there were certain people that Terry didn't want 
to have them come meet us on Star Trek, the old cast from Next Gen, because he he was like, they're going to make you do things that are counter to what... It's stuff that they want to do with the character, mm-hmm. not what not what we're trying to do with them, like right now, and you know, and That's and fair. stuff like that. I mean, there were some people we met, like we met with um, Michelle, we met with uh, uh, the fuck's her name now? She's the seven of nine. Um, Jerry Ryan. Yeah, Jerry Ryan. You Jerry know, Ryan. But, yeah, she's great. She, yeah, Jerry Ryan was great. We met her, but at the, the, but at the end again, we get to meet them a lot on set, you know, but, but, but I a hundred percent agree with you, Hilliard, because when we met with, um, Lorraine Toussaint, who is an amazing person off the rip, but like she had a lot of things about, uh, her character that she, you know, her character doesn't get a lot to do. And part of the thing that we, they had pitched to the network this season was that we're going to put that those secondary characters are all going to get more focus she was just telling us things about how she saw the character and how she spoke and things about her own life that we were like, we just were taking mad notes on everything that she said, because it was, again, the staff this season is primarily new. There's 11 of us. And I would say, see, uh, Joe, Joe and Rob. So three of the 11 are returning. The other eight are all new. And so for us to like hear them, like we've never had any action with them or hang out with them on set to get just a conversation about anything in life, you know, was, it was great to hear that, you know, and same thing with, with Tori Kittles, you know, like, like, like Ann Lisa, uh, Lapira, I can't remember, remember how her name is pronounced. We still got to meet Adam Goldberg still, but it's, it's something that you want to do. I mean, I remember there was this, um, I remember seeing um, what's her name? Um, uh, Robin Wright was talking one time about how she decided to do House of Cards because she really didn't want to do it. You know, she's like, I don't want to do the TV grind and everything like that, and blah blah blah. Like I'm a little, she just like didn't want to do that at that stage in her career. And she was like, Yeah, but I sat with Fincher, and Fincher said, and she was like, I'll never, I'll never forget these words. She said, I, I want you to create the character with me, you know? Mm. And she was like, oh, if you're giving me that kind of license on this, I'm in. Because, you know, it's not just you are inviting me to be heard. You want me to, like, actually give input consistently, you know? And I think that's what, you know, actor... I mean, I know there's some working with the people at the Playhouse. Like, they want to just, you know, like say stuff about what's going on and like so that like they understand what they're supposed to be doing as opposed to just being these marionettes you know because it's not yeah they're given some investment in the in the in the process so again i'm an advocate of it at a minimum the drive-by like the mood board might be a a, a somewhat much you know (laughs) if the the actor brings in a mood board um but at least hear them out because they because part of the a lot of the problems that stem later on on set and you know, and you have difficulties with production. Someone doesn't want to come out of their trailer. It's because people are not feeling like they're being heard. Mm-hmm. So if you at least bend your ear their way, hear them out, and whether you do their suggestions, or you don't do their suggestions, but at least they feel like, hey, I was listened to. I'm not just here being puppeted around, marionetted around. I'm invested in the process. I've conveyed my, you know, character thoughts, 
you know, about, you know, where I think things are because they spend a lot more time with the character than we, you know, we, we write it, but we're, we're juggling 20, 50, 20, 30 characters, sure. you know, all going, all running around in a, in a script where they are solely focused on the one and they are really analyzing what everything. am I saying here? Why am I saying everything and building a whole backstory that we might not have even flushed out? So, yeah, there was, I, I, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't like the show. The show I worked on, where the actors were banned, it was detrimental because the, the first time I got to really interact with the actors was on set, and that's not the place where you want the meeting to then happen. Because there are people who were like, "Who are you?" Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I apologize. I was going to say one thing that I was thinking about was we did bring the actors into the room, but we also covered the entire board so that they could not see what was going on with their character and stuff like that. So I made sure I need to preface that because they do wonder like, well, what happens? Cause they were asking, well, what happens with my character? And you know, they do all that. And of course you've got to juggle, <laughs> you know, that type of conversation, which is another reason they don't want them in the room. Well, know? yeah, because it's like, someone's going to get killed. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, yeah. well, two, two things like one, you don't want them to know that ahead of time for, you know, just for their own, like, like acting stuff. And two, oh, man. they've got, they've got to know at some point in, in a timely fashion because they got to look for another job. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But they and usually they just, have it blocked out that you have six episodes, you know, regardless yeah. or seven or 12 or whatever. It's gonna yeah. Be. But if you're going to kill them off and say, I'm just using this as an example, right. if you're going to kill off a character in like the season finale, mm-hmm. You probably want to let the person know, hey, you're not coming back next season, and let them For let sure. them know sooner rather than later. Once you make that decision, and not like, oh, by the way, it's Christmas and you're dying in a season finale, <laughs> and you're not coming back next year. Exactly. <laughs> oh, let me tell you, we so a bunch of the cast on season two of Star Trek were not coming back for season three. And uh, just, you know, and not a bunch, but just like some, some of the cast wasn't. And they were told at a time where they still had to work in like three episodes, you know, they were pissed. They were not happy. They were like, Really, it was it, it like like it, like it was not pleasant to even just see them on the set. I mean, like see them on the stages, not even on the set. Just like walking around, like on the lot, we would, you know. I mean, someone in particular was like threatening to like, you know, not do press and like and to shit talk the show. I was like, wow, wow, mad, real mad, you know. Because I mean, for a lot of reasons, but yeah, I, I mean, it's an interesting thing, you know, like working with the actors. And just the whole process of doing that is, is um, it's is is different. It's uh, I mean, it's I, to me it's something that that I, I love more than anything. You know, I, I kind of realized the thing I realized like working on this show is being in the writers' room for writers is like being in the rehearsal space for like actors and directors. Like it's like that's when it's really fun, and you're like figuring out and like, oh, this is oh, this is oh, you know, like the excitement of it is that, you know, at the, the rehearsal time, everything like that. That's what I think. That I mean, it's, I just noticed it. I noticed the way the, the the writers 
get on this show because there's so many more of them on 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 Equalizer than what it is on on Star Trek. Star Trek was such a such a strange uh, dynamic too because of like mm-hmm. what we were doing, who we were working with, um, just the design of the show, the pressure of like the network, it was, secrecy, the secrecy, <laughs> like so much shit that was like. It, it, it became, it was just like, it just was, it was a different beast to deal with. And, you know, and mm-hmm. the whole, the whole writing staff felt like we were in some weird bubble, you know? I mean, like, I, m- I remember like a couple of weeks ago, we got together to see um, cuts of the final, epi- of the final season. Like Terry brought us together to see like, I don't know, like the first three episodes, the final versions, and then the, the last two episodes, the final, ver- like the, I guess the effects weren't done. But it was amazing. It was amazing to see it, you know, kind of, you know, like to see it together, like in a way that we that we didn't experience even there. We were watching dailies or seeing some of the earlier cuts and just like with like with the effects in there, like it really. Yeah, it's one of those moments where you actually feel really, really proud about what you worked on, you know, because it kept so much of it secret. So. Mm -hmm. Wow. That makes sense. That makes sense. Let me ask you guys um, a, a question about this, though. Um, so one of the things that I've had, because um, I think I mentioned, I don't know if I told you, Linnell, but one of the things I do pretty much every day, I, haven't, I didn't do it all last week because we just had a lot going on, um, but I usually you know, get there in the morning and the room starts at 9, 30, 10 o'clock or whatever, and I just, I'll go into the room and I have my earbuds in like this, but I'll just have one in while I'm working, you know, and I'm not on video, but I'm just listening to them in the writer's room while I'm still working on other things that I'm doing. <clears throat> and there's been, and I don't, I can't tell if I was talking with Pamela about this last night, Chris, I can't tell if it's because I'm not sitting at the table, but there's things about the room that makes me not want to be in the room as I watch. And it's something about, the, the pace and the repetitiveness, I don't know, it's something about, I don't know if it's just because I'm busy and I'm not zoomed in like they are, you know, but whenever I do stop and just listen and zoom in, I'm like, oh God, I do not want to sit in a room doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I find myself literally doing that a lot where I'm like, man, and what I'm loving is when Ben comes in a room, he comes in for an hour or two, three every once in a while, and what are you guys doing? Let's do this. Let's do this. I don't like that. I'm like, now that's fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? The rest of it, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want that. You know what I mean? So it's been interesting to me, you know, as I've been watching for the last eight weeks. Well, I, I mean, you know, here's the thing. The thing I think about, again, it's like the difference, you know, everybody kind of has their way of doing it. And then, and I see it so much more on Equalizer than I did on Star Trek is how fast you got to grind through a, a, the story, you know, to make it, to break the episode and, and, and throw out ideas. And, and, and there's so many permutations and there's so many things that uh, people don't, you know, like, 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 you know, like it's hard to land on anything, you know, because you got to really wait for what the, the, um, for what the showrunner wants, you know, you, you're like, we're waiting for Joe Wilson to come in and, 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 and to give his sign off. And I think 
what was different on our, on Star Trek was, you know, two of the co-EPs had, they had worked with Terry on 12 Monkeys. They got their first TV jobs on 12 Monkeys with him and they worked their way up through the four seasons. So they really knew his taste and knew what he would go for. And they, so it was kind of, it was, it was, it was, there was very little stuff that, that Terry would come in and, and like, that Terry needed to hear, you know, like basically decisions could be made by the two guys who were the co-EPs or sometimes those guys would go and just brief him before the room started or after the rooms, you know, when we locked for the day and then, and, and they'd come in and kind of run it. So there wasn't as much like, you know, like the ideas, like the tire, like the, the, wasn't they always say that, that, the that, that we didn't kick the tires on ideas so much in the room because those guys had such trust from the showrunner, you know? Um, I'm, and I'm not saying the, I'm not saying that they don't on the Equalizer. It's just new. Like the whole staff is new, so it's not like they've been around to be able to like to speak the shorthand that show wants. Um, but I know what you mean about that. That that you go over the ideas a lot and a lot and a lot, and there's could be ideas that are really really cool, and you're like, well, we can't really decide on this because we got to wait until we hear from what. Yeah. Most and that's what that's what becomes. Everyone feels like they're just sort of treading water yeah, because you can't really move forward until the showrunner comes in and says, okay, here's the direction I want you to, to go in this, not that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yes. No, maybe so. Um, and that gets frustrating because it feels like, okay, we can sit here and churn out ideas all, you know, all day long, but it's not breaking the episode and we're not really, you know, moving the needle. So it gets really hard when your showrunner is not around at all. Um, and that's why, you know, <clears throat> it's always better, I think, if the showrunner can at least. I mean, in the early weeks before production starts, they should be in the room. Like, ideally, they should be in the room all the time. Mm-hmm. But when once production starts and they have to go look at cuts and all this other stuff, that you're only going to get like part of their day. But if they could like be in for a couple hours every day, or at least have a couple co EPs. Here's the other problem I've seen is sometimes there are co EPs who are not. Um, um, what's the word? Uh, given the power, empowered, empowered is the word I'm looking for, empowered to make decisions on the showrunner's behalf when they're not around. So they sit there and like, okay, well, we got to wait to run it by, you know, Peter. And when, when Peter gets here, and then you're just sort of, you're just sort of stuck. And then Peter finally comes in and Peter's like, I fucking hate this. Throw it all away. And everyone feels deflated because they're like, we spent all this time on this and Peter hates it. You well, know? no. So, well, well, see, this is the thing too that, because the equalizer room is all Zoom, in Star Trek we were in person. When we get to those little impasses, when it, when it was kind of like, so let's go hear what Terry has to say, or let's wait till he comes in. Well, then they would break the room. They say, "All right, so you know, I'll go." I mean, it wasn't me, but but but, but one of the co-EPs would go, and just say, you know, I'll talk with Terry, and he'd just go to his office, and the rest of us would leave, and, and we could kind of just do what we wanted to do, you know, and, Good and idea. Until, like until we got an answer. And then, you know, the, the, the writers assume what would call us back in, you know, so we might get an hour or two hours before we could hear back from, you know, like the thing. And I think that's what it is. That's, I mean, that what you're saying with now is like, and I think you two, same with you here, it is like, you're going over stuff because you have to fill the time of the day. Mm-hmm. You know? 
opposed to just you know just 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 saying let's just break it and wait so we can answer and come back. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, we had a right now. I think we start production on the yeah we start on on August first, so we start in less than a month, um, which is gonna to me I guess will be. I, I guess it'd be cool. I, I, I'm like, I'm going to miss the opportunity like in Star Trek. Cause we shot the room was right down the same lot as where we were oh, shooting. Yeah. So that so like, if, if there was any break, like I'm talking about, mm-hmm. then like, you know, I go down to the stages, you know, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever, mm-hmm. half hour, an hour, you know, and I get the buzz on my phone. It's like, Hey, we're starting the room in five, you know, and I just run back. Um, and that was like so invaluable for me. Again, I'm probably unlike for a lot of people to be to be on set, to be on such a, a to be on that show with that budget as a streamer. From what everyone is telling you, like you 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 never get time on set on a streamer show anymore. Um, it was, to me, it was great. I, I know we're all supposed to go to New York for prep and production for our episodes on the Equalizer, which is going to be cool. Um, Unless, we had that worked out on our show too. Yeah, I mean, unless it's an episode that is like has to shoot in December or January, which I'm not looking forward to being in that winter. It's not that, um, it's not that bad. The, the New York winter is not that bad. Well, it's not. It, we're mean, not talking North Dakota winter. It's it's not that bad. We'll see. We'll see. I remember. I remember last year. Like like Joe sent me. Some photos, but I guess there was that like oh, blizzard there when they were there doing that blizzard. Sometimes, occasionally, there's a snowmageddon. Okay, yeah, occasionally, yeah, yeah that's but what that's it was. not every year. And you know, and if it's snowing, that means it's above thirty-two degrees, which is great. That's balmy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just bring your down coat. You'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'm. I'm, I'm not. I'm not really too concerned about it. Um, I. Th- I think the thing that 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 they were concerned about is um i mean it's interesting like they're always very they're always very uh cognizant of this of about like you know like don't set scenes at night if you don't have to you right know, you know just right. don't do that um exterior at night yeah, ex- <laughs> i mean yeah, yeah, night, yeah nighttime exteriors are always like yes. does this have to be at night can we all do this in the same day can we do this inside and, it and just like, it just hey. makes life hard so much harder yes. for the crew and it 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 kind of tanks morale when they have to be out there. I mean, <clears throat> working on a superhero show where someone shoots lightning out of their hands, <laughs> it always looks better at night, right? So yeah. we had this thing called Fratter Days where the crew would show up at like Friday at seven o'clock at night and then shoot oh, right. all Friday and Saturday until, until like six, seven in the morning on a Saturday. So it kind of ruins your, your weekend. Yeah. Are you guys came block like shooting those days to get all no, the nights? No, not block shooting. Really? Not block shooting. No. Mm-mm. Just well, I mean, I, I don't know what you mean by block shooting. I mean, everything we needed to get done at night. It was you know any night exteriors were all done on that Fratterday. It was so, just that episode. Is all I meant. Was that, just that episode. Too. Just that episode. Oh, yeah, because, oh. because I mean, we couldn't block shoot because you have just the one director. The GGA gets a little. You know, we we had different directors for every episode, so you can't block shoot if it's someone else's. You know. Well, see, that's interesting because that's interesting because what we did on Star Trek is that we had a there was a a week that we were on location in the third season, and it was three episodes that were done that night that were done at night like on that set. I remember on two of the nights when I was covering set, 
we shot some stuff with one director up until lunch and then we broke. And then it, after lunch, it was a different director, you know, for yeah, different episodes. Cause we were, yeah. cause we were block shooting stuff. I mean, we were, you know, it was coming back and forth with those same, with the same cast or same location, but different episodes, you know? Um, That's how they but, balance it with the DGA though. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, but um, I mean, but those days were crazy. Cause even, cause, cause even here, in LA, you know, it's just like um, to be up at all. You know, and those days, <laughs> Terry didn't like. Like Terry was like, "Yeah, you have to cover that night and be in the room the next day." And we were like, "Are you okay? Are you crazy?" He's like, "No, no, you got time. You can make it work." Um, yeah, I did not like those days. I wanted to do that twice, but those were like some really. Well, it's. I mean, it 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 contributes to crew fatigue, you know, because I was, you know. Coming coming off the set at six seven in the morning, you know, on a Saturday. Then you got to go home. Then you got to try and get some sleep. People have families, and then you're back at it Monday. Like yeah. it's not like you get Monday off. Back you you're back at it Monday and early. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the next episode, you know, mm-hmm. next episode might be starting on that Monday, and it's like seven a.m. call time. So yeah. your circadian rhythm is all off. Like it's a mess, and it's like something in our industry that we don't, you know, we kind of been skirting I- around it, but. You know, I just saw there was some some sort of car crash or whatever with a Disney Plus show over right. the, over this past yeah. weekend. I saw that in the trades. I'm like, you know, it's just I thought, it's but, getting but, but, it's getting to the breaking point. It really I, is. I thought that IATSE strike or the threatened strike, whatever it was. They like, didn't. Well, they didn't. They didn't go on strike. That was the thing. They did yeah. not go on strike. They threatened, and then I I don't know the details of the deal they worked out because a lot of what they were talking about with these these exact things like crew fatigue, tired. You know, um, long hours. They got no stuff. no breaks. They got the stuff that they wanted about that, from what I heard. You know, because the thing that the thing that I didn't know was is that the um, script coordinator and the writer's assistant, at least on our show, were part of IATSE. so they weren't like were concerned about if they weren't going to be there for, particularly the script supervisor. I'm sorry, no, I mean like the the writer's assistant was concerned about if she was not going to be there if they went on strike and then it was like, Oh yeah, they got what they wanted. They got the, I mean, it's particularly about the hours, like the, tr- it's the turnaround, what it is turnaround. Time. Well, I guess, I guess it's you'll, time. you'll see the you difference when, when you, when you go to go to New York and go on, you know, you're on set and you're down coat, keeping warm. Um, <laughs> you'll see what the hours are, you know? Yeah. Um, and when, if there's been some sort of difference. Yeah. Um, I've, I've been hearing it's back to the old bullshit, even though we had for a time the COVID of it all was meaning, hey, we, we, we have to have shorter hours and, you know, we've got to have more time to test everybody. And I'm hearing that we're everybody's back on their bullshit is yeah. what I'm hearing, you know. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And it, it could be it could differ from show to show and it could differ from, you know, you're in a broadcast network situation. A lot more money, you know, being thrown at your show than, say, something that's on a streamer. Yeah. You know, so it just depends. Yeah. The, um, yeah. the other thing I was thinking about is I was telling this to Pamela last night is because, you know, I'm on what we call the producer's track with, with them. So I'm doing everything that's gearing me in a way so that when I'm done, I'm going to have a bunch of these producer uh, credits, you know, on their shows and stuff like that. So that when I'm done in two years, three years, wherever I am, I'll be able to possibly get my own overall deal. Right. And so what what's what's happening is 
and I've, I've said this, people keep asking me what's the difference between what I was doing and what I'm doing now. And I'm like, it's just on a bigger scale. You know, all the, all the, the, the independent things that we've done, Chris and Linnell, we're doing everything we've done. We've, I've already done, you know, it's just now, uh, 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 there's more demand for it. There's more, um, stakes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause now I'm dealing with networks and studios and, you know what I mean? And WME and CAA and all these other people. So it's like on a whole nother scale. And there's so, and I've always said, you've heard me many times. The only thing different is the, the amount of money that they're dealing with now, the budget and, 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 and so many more people, you know, and the turnaround is a lot faster. It's exact what I've said, <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's what I'm seeing. So the expectation is everything's moving a hundred miles an hour now, as opposed to, you know, on our time because we're independent and we don't have all the money. We can, we got to wait till we get money to do this thing. We can't pay the editor until we finish. It's always something in the indie world, you know, but here it's all set. The budget is there. You have the money, you have the people, you have the team, you know, and the, 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 the machine is just rolling. And no, but, I, you I'm, know what, it's, it's something I'm seeing now, you know, like my brother has been working on this short film he did with a friend of his, um, he was like, he DP'd this thing. And I think they've been working on it for like maybe th- three or four months now, you know, it's cause it's like, they don't have the money, you know, for the longest time was they were like, like I told them at least two months ago, you need to get someone to do your audio. You, cause they shot some stuff at the beach, you know? And uh, they were like, how do we fix this? I was like, I was like, I was like, you have to ADR that shit. You're not going to be able to like, you know, like you can't take out waves in the background of someone, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, I mean, and, and, you know, they figure out a way to do the ADR, you know, um, like, like, like I think in her apartment or something like that. But I was like, yeah, but you still got to go in and find someone who knows how to do audio to kind of like properly, properly properly do the balance, balance what you should be hearing like the ocean waves crashing yeah, uh, you know, you know some, yeah. some 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 people giggling in the background as they you know flop in the water yeah that, that. yeah you know and like the placement of it you know because like you know because like yesterday i started watching this version of war and peace this uh, this on the criterion channel the the russian film of that it's like eight hours long and it's like four parts and i probably watch it like over the next like i don't know three or four weekends um but the thing that supremely bothers me about it, like up front, is it's all ADR, but it's not, be- but it's not mixed the way they would mi- they were mixing show. They mi- it's like done in like '68 or something like that. And by '68 in America, they were getting better at mixing the like place, like distance, you know. So you hear people talking like it's all up front. And I was like, tell my brother, I was like, oh yeah, you gotta like fix all that, you know. Then it's like, well, since they didn't have money. I think it took them like a month to find someone who's going to do it for free. You know, it's just like just the lag time you got when you're doing any project that, you know, I mean, it's, it's the same all favors and shit. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I'll say this um, with indie projects because I'm in the throes of this myself. Um, the budget is probably the most important thing you can do right off the top. Finding someone, a producer who has this, who can put together an, an accurate budget for you that should be like your first thing after you've got the script and you're like okay you know and you you start putting your team together find a producer that can really like no kidding make a make a budget for you because that was my problem producer 
a line producer, yes. right? There's a lot of people talking yes. about their producers and they're just sort of like mm-hmm. nebulous and yeah, you know, maybe they're making deals happen, but a line producer that can say, okay, the generator is going to cost this much per day, right. you know, that kind of stuff and put that on your budget and here with the SAG ultra low budget rates are for a short film, you know, yep. um, it's this. So, cause I was, my problem was I had been given a grant for 25,000 mm-hmm. and I was looking at my 15 page script. and I was like, this should cover it. Right. A thousand, a thousand dollars per page, blah, blah, blah. But then once we went and did the budget, it's like, Oh no, with COVID with, you know, I have a couple different locations. It's, it's just like, and with SAG now setting these minimums in terms of even for um, the low, the, the ultra low budget agreement, like you can't mm-hmm. go below certain, a certain number. And I've got a family of four in the movie as the cast. It was like, okay, adding all this, you're short. And I'm going to have to find money somewhere else. But How many days are you going to shoot? Three. Oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. fine. Okay. okay yeah. yeah. So yeah, like five it. pages a day, right? Yeah. Um, but it still is turning out to be a little bit more than what the, tw- you know, more than what the tw- we can do with the 25K. But I didn't know that until I brought a producer on and like actually make the line, make the line by line budget and figure this shit out. Because I was sort of doing the, oh, that looks about right method that writers do of like, oh, it's a thousand dollars. Like maybe back in 2005, it was a thousand bucks per page. And maybe, well, if you have two, maybe if you have two people in a room talking on like a soundstage, that's a thousand bucks per page. Correct. But see, the, 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 you hit it on the nail. You have four characters, right? So you got to pay each of them, let's just say, $150 a day, 125 It's whatever. more than that now. It's two eleven. dollars Okay. 211 is a SAG right. ultra low budget. That's four number. people. So that's 800 plus like a day for four days. So you got to count that, right? So you're already at $1,000 a day just for your actors. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got to look at it like that. Then you got the the all the other expenses you have to do, the insurance, the permits, you know, and then every location you move to is a move, depending on if they're going to be on, you know, the same day. Because sometimes you try to squeeze things in and be like, oh, we'll shoot this here and we'll shoot this here. But that's where it gets complicated is, is using, finding the right line producer who knows how to get resources to save you money. And also with the festival, or you have to budget also for festival submissions and marketing and, Yes. So, you know, it just, just, that's my biggest recommendation to people is like, find someone that knows how to put together a decent, you know, um, budget for you. And yeah, there are all these things you can try and do to like, oh, we're going to get a favor here, get a favor here. But then that, that increases the timeline of you doing a damn thing, right? right? So then it because it, it takes, it takes a long time to try and get the hookup, get the favors, talk to the guy that, oh, that knows the guy that knows the guy. Whereas with broadcast network, there's so much money um that you don't have these problems you have the money that you can just get what you want i remember jeff melbourne explaining see if i can remember it that it's like a triangle right it's fast it's fast good fast good fast good cheap fast good cheap is the triangle or the three points of triangle so you can have fast and good like a broadcast network show but it's not going to be cheap and that's fine for them but if you're in the indie space any space and you're gonna and you're trying to do cheap and good it's not Mm -hmm. gonna be fast for sure. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, you know what? I mean, I mean, I, you know, I was trying to do that project with um, Roberta Monroe right before, right mm-hmm. when COVID started. 
Uh, and her line producer was like saying, it's like, you need to budget around like eight to 10 grand a day, you know? Um, on the I short, mean, short term? On the short, that's what he was talking. I was like, that's a lot of money, you know? <laughs> but, you know, but, <clears throat> but I thought about it and I was like, oh, maybe you can, you can maybe get away with, you know, at the high end, eight, you know, depending on what you're doing, but you're going to need, I mean, to me, I, to me, I, I, like, like I would always kind of look at it as like how many days you're shooting and, and, and what are you shooting per day, you know, and that you should try to like, you sh- and you should never, not that you should never, but you shouldn't really do like a company move on a short film because it's, you know, because he, like, the thing is, what's really going to hurt you doing any short film is who's your crew. You know, it's almost impossible to get a good crew in Los Angeles who that is going to work on a short film. Uh, because anybody who's really good is not going to give up their weekend, you know. Well, that's, and, that, but that's what I'm saying, where, like, you can get the really good people, but then you have to have more money. So then, you, you know, that's another thing with our budget. We were like, we don't want to do this. We don't want to hire a bunch of, like, People who are marginal, you know, or people not experienced. We we want to get people who are good, so that's that's going to increase the budget. You know, it's just yeah. These are the trade offs you have to make. You yeah. know, if it's your first, if it's your first short film, then yeah, do two people in a room talking, spend a couple thousand dollars on it, and you have a bunch <clears> of students from UCLA or USC help you do the thing. That's fine. But for me, where I'm like, I'm not on my first short film. This is like you know fifth or sixth or seventh. I can't. I don't even know. It's like I want to do something that's a larger budget that looks good and shows off my abilities as a director. Um, you want to be able to direct TV, so you're trying to show. Yeah, them yeah, 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 yeah. Let me just say this though, and I've no, said this. Well, let me say one thing. Great, I won't remember. I won't forget. So it's like because um, like they shoot in front of my house a lot. Like they shoot on my street or or, or they use my building a lot, and I don't know how many times. I've seen them come in. They shoot TV shows. They come in to shoot at like seven o'clock. Uh, this is I remember just two weeks ago. They were here. I was driving out somewhere. Uh, at go to the gym at like seven, and then by the time I left at ten to go get something, I came back from the gym. I left at ten to get something right to eat, to eat right before I went into the room at ten thirty. They were gone by the time I got back at ten thirty. There was no footprint. So they came in, set up with. They came in, set everything up, shot their shit, and were out with no footprint at all in like four hours, five hours. And I, and, and I was like, "That's the crew that you want." And those people are in. They are in L.A., but those people aren't the ones who who gonna work with you on the weekend because it's like you said, like you said before, Lanell, they got their family they want to spend on the, the weekend with. You know, like why are they gonna spend time with you like like on your film? You know, so. Yeah, it's, it's that's a, a different a, kind of machine you're talking about, though. You know, on a lower budget, people are figuring where they're going to park. They don't have a parking lot where everybody, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. different. Yeah. The logistics are completely different. But I was going to say this um, just using this as an example, something I've said on the show before, Linnell, is one of the things that I used to try to do when I was doing these lower budget, you know, $50,000, $100,000, you know, projects or whatever. For example, when we got Helena Hutchins, who was killed in that movie with uh, Alec Baldwin, the way I was able to get her was I went and sat down with her. I think she wanted, I want to say it was like 
it was a lot more than we had. Let's just say that. I don't want to say the number. But we only had like 250 a day for her. Of course, she was way more than that. So I went, sat down with her, and I, I had seen her reel and watched it three or four times. And I was like, oh, I know what's missing from her reel. We don't have this moment right here that we have in our story. So I went and pitched to her why she needed to do ours, because she doesn't have that on her reel. Well, fast forward, that's how I got her, right? But you fast forward all these years later when you see what happened. I'm watching 2020, and they're doing a special on her, and they show her reel. They open up on, my, on that scene I pitched to her. She kept it in her reel. You know what I mean? And so that's all I'm saying is you can find ways to get people into your projects if you see that they need you. You know, yeah. whether it's an actor, whether it's a, a DP, yep. you know, cinematographer, whatever, look at the reels and see what's missing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. see, do you have something in there that you think could help them back? Mm-hmm. And then they might be willing to do it. And, and then you won't lose them going, oh, I'm just doing this little movie. It's like, oh, I need this for my two. You know, I yeah. need this for it's something. A win, it's a win-win for everybody. It's a win-win. Yeah. And, and yeah. that's how I get different things in my project, you know, in the past. You know, so just well, that's, but, but that's an interesting point because, I mean, that's something that you could translate to, to almost like to any person, you know, that you wanted, particularly an actor or DP like that. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I think with DPs, you can look at their work and see if they're really talented or if they have what you kind of want them to do, even though they don't have exactly what that you know that you want your project to look like you know like the i think the the most famous example of this is in 1999 when chris nolan was at sundance with his movie the following the guy named wally fister who was the dp on, on from from memento forward he had a small little uh little like romantic drama that was also at sundance that same year and and no one saw it, and, and he was like, "I want this guy," and I've seen and, and I saw that and I saw that from the while he did like, you know, I can't remember his title, but there's nothing on the surface of it that would say, "Oh, this is the guy that I want to shoot Memento, I, I want to shoot the Batman Begins, all this kind of shit like that." But there was these other things about his work that he was like, "You know how to do it." You know how to do this, this, and this, and that's what I know that I need. And, I, and I'll just talk to you about what I want for my vision in the next part. Because if you, if you, like you said here, if you go after someone who's got exactly what, oh, this image on his reel, like he knows how to do exactly this, he's already done it or she's already done it. So then mm, they're like, mm. so, so like I'm not being pushed as an artist, you know, and every artist wants to be pushed, you know, I mean, that's how you get people to be in things, you know, and, and unless you're going to meet their quote, then you better you know, like show them something that's like, hey, you, you want to do this? You've never done this. You know? So that's a great point. Yeah. 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 And, and, and it's always worked, whether it was an actor or whether it was a, a DP like that. I've always been like, you know what's missing from your reel? You don't have a scene where you don't have a character doing this. You don't have any movement where the, you know, there's something in the car and this is going by. You know what I mean? I was like, this could really help you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you can help me back. Or you, know or you I mean? just don't have any emotional moments in your sure. reel. It's it's a lot of like cool shots, but there's nothing mm-hmm. sort of, you know, that tugs on the heartstrings. Yes, yeah. agreed, agreed, agreed. Yeah, because yeah, um, to me, to me, yeah. I feel like cool shots, cool shots don't mean anything to me as a filmmaker. If I'm, watch, if I'm watching someone's reel. Because it's like, 
you know what, all the money for the show could have been, sh- you know, like focused to get this one shot, you know, right. and that's, and, and then you put that on your reel. So I don't know what you did to do that. And honestly, to me, the stuff that I always find the most, that strikes me the most when I watch movies is these moments that these quieter moments in films or, or things like that. And they figure out how to do something that was really fucking interesting. I was like, Oh, I didn't think about how to do that. I mean, just the other night I was, I was watching part of um, war of the worlds again. And my favorite, because like Tom Cruise one. Yeah. Yeah. Cause just because like, like my favorite moment in that movie is because I'm, I'm working on a horror film now and I wanted to watch this part is when they're in Tom and Dakota are in the basement with Tim Robbins. Right. And it's like, and the, the way he does the suspense moment when the, you know, that the alien thing is tracking them down and everything like that. I was like, that's the part I wanted to say. I just, I just fast forwarded to that part, you know, but um, I just fast forward to, to, to when they got to the basement there's a small little moment in there when right before the, the creature comes down, when Tom is talking to Tim Robbins about what their plan's going to be. And Tim starts telling him about where he starts giving him this speech. And, and what happens is, you know, Tom walks out and he moves into this silhouette and like the way it's lit where it's like, he's talking at first and it's, it's this cool thing in the background, and this, and he's lit with this orange light, and blah, blah blah. But then when Tim Robbins comes into the frame, and they 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 move to different places, Tom goes into this weird silhouette, so so, so you don't know what he's thinking as he's being talked to. And then you know, and when he makes his decision, he comes out of the light, and it's such a subtle thing. And I was like, you know, they fucking planned that. And that's mm-hmm. the kind of shit that you want to see someone's done on the real, not the cool ass shot in there where, you know, the, the most like the most where, where he spent all the money, where like they pull the camera back out and show the plane is crashed into the houses and shit. Like, yeah, that's fucking cool. But you know, they probably spent two days figuring that shot out, you know, and like doing that. And the other shot they probably kind of saw it there on the day, you know, and that's the stuff that I think when, that when you're looking at reels, you want particularly DPs, you want the subtle moments because that's what people are going to cue in on when they watch your movie. And they're going to think about that when someone else is watching your movie to go, Oh, does this person know how to direct? Oh, they found a moment where to use the light to help them tell the story. That's cool. And they move the camera, you know, they, they do all those things that aren't or they just blocking like, to help tell the story or they use, right. you know, some of the production design helps tell your story. Like how do all these elements that you know, various elements work together to tell the story. Other than oh, cool shot, like you move the right. dolly around and spun it. What? Okay, that's great. But how does that further the narrative? Is the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed, sure. Um, so one of the other cool things that I get to do over at, at my job that I'm really enjoying is um, is we have a, a support support staff that's growing. So I get to work with them and, you know, do me, which is what I do is help people, you know. So that's been really, really fun. Um, I don't know if you want to get into this at all, just even a little bit of it, Linnell, um, in, in a different kind of way. But it's been it's been fun helping them understand why these scripts are working on this level, you know. And, and, and we were talking offline about, you know, sometimes you get strange notes from different people. 
<laughs> you know, and sometimes it gets in your head about how should I take this note or does it make you go a completely different direction than you plan to go at all. It's, it's kind of hard to know sometimes like when you feel right about something or when you feel wrong about it, especially when you feel good about it. You've been writing for a long time. You know how to write. And then somebody gives you something to left field the <laughs> the way you were yeah, thinking I mean, about it. Yeah, I mean, you can get notes from somebody, from even just one person, and it'll shake your, mm-hmm. shake your confidence in what yes. you're doing. Yes. And then, you know, I had that happen recently where someone gave me some notes on something and had me mm-hmm. trying to just change, like, change the concept tremendously. Right. And what I finally had to sort of wrestle with is like, no, and actually, and then talking to you guys, it's like, you just sort of confirmed it. It's like, no, the concept I'm doing works. That person just is not, that person wants to see something else. And that's, that's for them. This, this wouldn't be the show for yeah. them, yeah. but I'm trying to do the show that I want to see. Um, so well, I have to sort of, you know, take, take their notes with a grain of salt. It's like, it's like being in a writer's group, right? You're going to get, I mean, I had, I took the same script to my writer's group and some people who hadn't worked in television were thinking, oh no, like what I consider the catalytic event, they're like, oh no, that needs to be an act three. I was like, no, that needs to be an act one because they hadn't worked in TV and they hadn't understood the pace of Mm -hmm. how stuff needs to happen. Like the catalytic event that, that sort of, um, you know, pushes the story, like the reason why the story is happening, that has Mm -hmm. to happen in like act one, if not the teaser. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah. Especially you just, today. Yeah. Where the I mean, it used to be like 15 minutes. Now they're like, yeah. you got five, eight, six. Well, yeah, because like people, all people's attention. But, uh, yeah. but there's two, two things about the Linnell and, and Hilliard. I mean, when you're talking, you know, you had a question, Linnell, about, you know, earlier about when do you let a script go that you've been working on, you know? Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and when do you not? And to me, it's like... Part of it is, you know, there's always something, there's there's always the kernel of the, there's always the spark of the idea that is why you wanted to write the the piece. And the spark, not just the idea, but like the thing that, that you know, that turn your juices on. Like, oh, this is why I want to tell this story. And that is what you always got to kind of go back to when you get these notes or get like whatever it is where the project doesn't work right for other people. And you're like, how do I get it to go? And you're like, what is it about it that I really wanted to say? And I want to say this. So I just got to figure out how to do that in the most compelling way. And like, I always went back to um, something I did to kind of help me, shift a script that I was working on that I had been working on for about a year. And then I did some changes on it that helped me get it to be the script that sort of getting me work. And it goes back to this one podcast I listened to with in the moment with Brian Koppelman, where he had Chris McQuarrie on and he, and Chris McQuarrie was like, your job is like told as a writer is total audience engagement. And when I thought about that, I was like, how do I do that in every scene? How do I like, like make sure that every scene is keeping you in my storytelling spell? And once I'm able to do that, then I can, and, 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 and so then I use that as my barometer for when I hear notes about stuff. I was like, oh, 
what you're telling me, I have to let, you know what, that hits the deflector shield because you have a different movie or a different TV show in your head. What you're telling me is, is, is coming from that point of view. Boom. Or, oh, what you're telling me, I get what you mean by that. And I see where I fail to like keep you engaged or, and, the, and that has to do with, with any bump. Whenever someone bumps on your script is because they've lost engagement. So then it's like, okay, so, and, and so now I need to go back and figure out why did they bump there? Did I not do it right? Didn't that scene, or was it two, two or three scenes sooner? Or is it illogical? Where, do you have things yeah. that are happening that are not logical? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's all that. But so I go back and think about it with that way. And the th I mean, the thing is, is that I remember li listening to the Macquarie thing and I was like, he was so he was so honest with himself when he was like shitting on his own movie, The Way of the Gun, and thinking about his other films. I mean, it's tricky because like his the the movies he's done since he's like he's had a resurgence of his career has mainly been the Mission Impossible movies, and and those scripts I think are they're like I've been able to find the ones that he's done, and he recently did the fight. I know we did the final draft on fucking Top Gun Maverick. You know, and when you watch that movie, like like like, like if you watch it, you know if if, if you it. it look if you like it or not from what it's doing, like what it's saying, like the story stuff, like we talk about the now, it's 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 interesting exercise to see what he's doing to follow the thing I'm telling you about, like constant audience engagement, like every scene, like I sit down and watch it and I go. This is the Macquarie. You can see where it is based upon like like what his mantra is, and I feel like that's the thing you got to do. Like when you get notes from people, is you know, well, and this is this would like and takes your script to the next level, you know, because I mean, well, let me well, let me just interject and, yeah. and sorry, sorry, Lena, I apologize. Um, what what I was thinking about was like as I'm working with these you know younger emerging writers in in in, in the company I'm with is here's one thing I was thinking about is like I got them reading Lindelof scripts you know because that motherfucker just is on the page um Frank Darabont who's probably one of my favorites you know anything he writes is off the chain and then um even Misha Green I think just the way she describes things on the page it's just you just keep turning the page it's just so it's exactly what you were talking about Chris though it takes you on like a a ride where you can't stop. You know what I mean? You just want to, and then even when you pick it up, like you're thinking about it when you set it down and you're like, it's in your brain. It's like, how do you get your scripts to that place where it's just well, yeah, constantly, well, you know yeah, I mean? Well, I mean, the, the thing is, is that you can't take, you can't take any sentence for granted when you're trying to write something new that is like to break miss that's kind of the 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 thing i see when i'm, I'm when i read stuff on the equalizer you know the scripts are all good they're, they're all gonna work i mean the ones that i read they're all gonna work also it's gonna work but i read it and i go yeah but you know what this if this was a new project mm -hmm. this wouldn't work because they're just mm -hmm. like they're just like like they're writing to convey information mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not to like grab you where every mm -hmm. sentence has to mean it's, I mean, it's, you know, I, I used to have this thing up on, on, on my desk about <clears throat> guy, what's his name? Like uh, Donald Westlake used to write it. And, and, and he was like, it was this thing he read where he, where he was like, you can lose a reader with every sentence. 
And I was like, fuck, mm-hmm. that's like a real dangerous thing to yes, d- yeah. dangerous thing to say. But then again, it, it, but the flip side of it is what's what's the obstacle and that what's the opportunity? Now opportunity is, yeah, that's right. You should look at every sentence to fucking, you know, to do the most. Um, and it'll like change your it would change the way you write. And and I can tell when people are sloppy about that because they're you can just because like I'll look at the sentence and I go, oh, you have a fucking widow here or, or or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? That means you were lazy, you know, because, because you can either go back and figure out a way to. Lazy is a strong term. Maybe they, they just don't know. They're not as savvy with final draft to figure out how they can um, fix the widow. Okay. Okay. Explain okay. everybody what the widow is. If they don't know what the widow so, is. So, so, so what it was, if, if you're writing a sentence, and there's one or two words that follow the next line. That's the, like the, the widow or an orphan. You know, the orphan would be if it if it hangs over to the next page. Like there's there's one or two words from the previous sentence that's on the next page. And it's like that to me is like you probably like it looks like you wasted a line. And you can go back through and figure out like how to like change the sentence so you're not doing that. You know, and 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 usually. Or adjust the margins on final draft just for that one line. Don't do so, that. No, you, could do that. you could do that. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 not not for the whole script. You're not understanding what I'm saying. Not for the whole script. You get to that one line and you just sort of eke it over to like 6.2, 6.3, and then the word yeah. will fit. And yeah. no one, I trust you, will fucking notice. You've That's already right. read scripts that are doing this and they won't yes. notice. Oh, I, know, I, I do no, a I, version I, of what you guys are I do a version of what you guys are both talking about, except I will do, you know, you go back, you do your character pass or your, you know, your, your dialogue pass or whatever. I go back and do a pass where I'm doing that. How does it look on the page? You know, you know, and it's literally just cleaning up. Oh, I don't need that. And it could just go right to that. And then boom, it's like, per- whatever it is, it still makes sense in this way. And I'll just go and I'll and I'm not saying I'm not saying to, I'm not saying to do this on your network show that you're working on because you have a script coordinator yeah. that's going to make sure all the formats are tight. That's not don't right. do that there. But on your no. own personal stuff, your spec, your yeah. scripts that you're writing as samples or things you're hoping to sell, yeah, there's things that you can sort of do to make it, you know, look okay. But I'm going to pivot to because I'm very mathematical. There is a law, the law of diminishing returns, right? So you've been mm-hmm. working on a script for like a year. I've seen people work on scripts for two years. And at what point is, is a juice not worth the squeeze and you constantly re, rewriting it, retweaking it, you know, whatever, doing touches, polishes, whatever, at a point where it's like, it's done and you got to move on. This is the best it's going to get and you have to sort of move on. No, I mean, look, there's a point where you know that can happen and that, I mean, I don't like to work on material particularly a TV thing that's more than a year. And I feel like there's a lot of times you're writing a television pilot or something like that. Something that's like sparked you in the current moment is what is sparked you to write that idea. And therefore, if you kind of like drag it out over like two or three years, you know, it's lost its urgency and certain, certain looks, certain it. things are different. I mean, obviously, you hear about these guys like, you know, the Queen's Gamut took him 10 years to get to, to the screen or something like that. But that's not like, but but that's an but outlier. He was writing other things in between it. He's writing other things in know? between. He did Godless, yeah. and it's, it's an outlier piece. He's doing a period mm-hmm. piece 
about chess. It's like like and the and, and its relevancy to the modern day is 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 not that. And I and I, and I feel like if somebody knew had wrote the Queen's Gambit exactly the way that script was, got the book, everything like that. Somebody knew who had, who had no credits. That's not getting on the air. You know, like, nah, it's on the air because he's got the deal. Netflix, he just did Godless. He did a lot of other, he had a 20-year career before that. Everyone knew who the fuck he was. And he was like, and he could pitch that in a way that made sense to people. And he could like, write that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he could write it. You know? so, there's, so, there's, so there's a lot about that. I mean, and to me, I mean, yeah, that's the thing. You know, it's like, I mean, to me, like, here's the thing. If you're writing something that, like, is about the now, you know, like two or three years from now, it, it might not work. It, it could work, but you shouldn't spend the next two or three years writing. You better write other stuff in between mm-hmm, and, then, mm-hmm. and, 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 and then maybe come back to it and go, oh, here's what I learned that could change this. And it could change a lot of the dynamics of the piece because the world's changed. You know what I mean? Like there's certain things. Certain, certain, I remember I was, I was working on something right before the pandemic. And I'm like, I don't know, and 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 I never finished it because I got on that show. But then I was I was looking at I was looking at it a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I don't know how to do this now because the world's changed in a way that that what I wanted to say, like the the reason I wanted to tell the show, what I wanted to say is is now different. So I don't know if I'm that's, that's a risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's a risk that a lot of writers have. Is they try to write to, and I'm not saying you, I'm generalizing, but sometimes you write to what's happening in the ether right now. And that yeah. is a risk because it might take you five months to do it and now it's changed yeah. to something else. Or the, but, opposite, yeah. or the opposite can happen where, like I wrote something years ago about, you know, set, set in Wyoming, a black woman inherits a cattle ranch, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. now people are looking for that kind of Americana again. Now, now years ago when I wrote the thing, they were not. And now apparently that's back because of Yellowstone, the success yeah. of Yellowstone. People are now like, oh, we want stuff said in these other places and, you know, different, you know, Americana is what they're calling. Yeah, so right. you just write the thing that you like and you never know when it's going to be something desirable or something that people want to put in the zeitgeist. I will say this going back to your support staff situation. Mm-hmm. It is important for them. Like, it's great that you're showing them the scripts, but they also need to be watching movies that were made post-1998. Because the problem with this younger generation coming up, and I'm not trying to sit here and be like the old lady who's chastising the Gen Zers Mm -hmm. or whatever. What I find with them is that unless it's something post-2000, they have no idea what it is. Um, So they need to be watching the older stuff. And I don't need need you to watch Citizen Kane, you know, or (laughs) Touch of Evil, Chris. I finally saw that mess. It was a it was a mess. Charlton Heston in like a brown face. It was the women are just like fucking damseled and and oh my goodness, I'm just so hapless. I can't do I was it was a the one shot in the opening is great. And then I was like, what y'all doing? What y'all do? I was so I was and I saw it on 35 millimeter and I was just like, I don't I'm not a fan. Anyway. No offense to your boy. Um um why am I forgetting his name? The director, you just, um, your director, you're the guy you love, the director you love, Chris. Orson Welles. Orson Welles. No offense, to Orson oh, Welles, right. but I just right. did not dig it. Anyway, so they have to like, I mean, they're kids who don't know Goonies. Mm-hmm. 
That's no, no, just, you know, look, you just have to, you, you know, and I'm not saying you have to read, you know, because we all grew up in a time of, and we were blessed. We grew up in a time of, on a weekend, you turn on cable and there's some sort of movie on there and you're, and, and you're just, you just sort of have it on in the background. So you, so we were introduced, you know, our age group, we were introduced to stuff that was made in the sixties and seventies just by turning our freaking cable TV on. These kids yeah. now don't do that anymore. They all, everything is curated. So they only specifically go to HBO Max or Netflix and watch the thing that they want to see, which further feeds like, these are my interests, this is what I watch. So everything outside of it, they have no concept of. There were kids on Twitter the other day who had no idea about who Steve Martin was. Steve fucking Martin. I can't. (laughs) I can't. No, you're kidding. You're absolutely kidding. No. They don't know who Steve Martin was? No. No. Did not know who Steve Martin was. Because think about it. Well, I mean, we, 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 I mean, the last the, the last movie of his that I remember he did theatrically that was kind of like new that made that that I liked was Bowfinger, and that was what like ninety eight oh, yeah. maybe ninety eight. Yeah. Yeah. So, and what did what did I start my 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 spiel yeah. about? Like they haven't seen stuff post nineteen ninety eight. So seen anything before two thousand? But 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 my thing is it's not just. Any movie before 2000 is out of people's minds unless you are a movie fan or it's one of those movies that like everybody that that has some that, that was that was some big kind of commercial success in a way. You know like you mentioned Goonies, like that was a big movie and it meant a lot to that age bracket and everything like that. But you but you start thinking about other movies. I, m- I remember the other day in the 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 writers' room for Equalizer, this woman started pitching a story. I mean, she was pitching her episode. I said, "Oh, oh, um, you should watch this movie called Bunny Lake is Missing." She's like, "What's that?" I was like, oh, "It's this premature movie from '58." And I was like, and I, 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 "And I was like, it is your." St-. I was like, "It is your episode," you know, like. It, this you experienced some change, obviously, because the equalizer is going to aff- affect it. But what you're trying to say with the with the story is your episode. She's like, I never seen. It. I, I was like, I'll send it to you. I have a copy. And then she went and watched, it and she like texted me that that night. She was like, I love this movie. It's so eerie that this is the movie. This is this this movie is my episode. I was like, you don't know what someone has done. And the thing is, sure. and the thing is, I wasn't telling it to her to say your episode is unoriginal, don't do that, blah, blah, blah. I was like, watch this to see what they did because A, right. no one's seen it. Like who's alive to remember it. And B, you can see what worked for them and what didn't work for them. And, and, and you can cherry pick, oh, this worked, yep. that didn't work, I'm going to avoid that. Or and, that's, gonna... and that's what creativity is. People think yeah. you have to come up with something from from no. you know from scratch. It's like, no, you can sort of watch something else and be influenced by it and say, well, I'll, I'm going to keep that, toss that, adjust that, tweak this, and there you have it. Yeah. Let me just... add this. Let me add this. Um, here's something that I wanted to just piggyback off of what both of you guys were saying. I love where we're going with all this. The other thing is, for example, <clears throat> I was telling one of the um, uh, one of the support staff the other day. They're like, "How many how many scripts do you have?" And I said, "Probably between forty five and fifty, right?" They were like, "Wow, like how do you do that?" I said, "Let me explain to you why, and this will make some sense of what we're talking about." You were just saying a moment, Chris, about sometimes you'll you'll set something down and you'll come back to it later, stuff like that. 
I tend to do that too. <clears throat> but part of the reason I do that is so that I never end up being the one who runs across some uh, producer down the line and, you know, we have a meeting and he's like, oh, you know, I'm really looking for these type of stories. I'm like, shit, I wrote something like that five years ago. Instead, I want to be able to take that script because I'm constantly polishing something, you know? So what I do sometimes picking up on what you guys are talking about is I will open up an old script and just go, where am I now with how I write? Oh, I come in on scripts this way. You know, I do transitions this way and I'll just add that texture to it, you know, and it'll become a different version. That's why there's so many because some of them are more than, I have one that's three different versions completely. One is from a female point of view, one's from an older point of view. You know what I mean? Because I just sat back and went, I wonder how this would feel now. Well, now I like stories about that character. So I would take it from, because they're more the underdog today. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so I still do that a lot. So that's what helps me because that's what I write. So if I'm going to be the person who writes underdog stories and that story doesn't feel that underdog anymore because of the time that I you know, put the story in, but if I focused on that character, now it shifts, you know, or if I move it to another city, which I've done a lot too, I'll just change the city uh-huh. and it'll make it a whole, a whole different thing uh-huh. too. Uh-huh. So, uh-huh. Um, so whenever I go through that, oh, here's, this is what I was going to say is, <clears throat> the, as, as you guys know, I come from, I am one of those people who entered Austin and slam dance and all that shit. I just happen to do really well with them. But the reason I did them was exactly the problem that we were talking about. So say I sent a script to my reps or to a friend, a producer, or with anybody, and everybody kept going, oh, I don't know about this, I don't know about this. I'd be like, well, I feel good about this. Let me see how it, go, how it does at Austin. I'd submit it. Oh, I made it to the finals. So it must be pretty good, right, in my head. So it didn't win, but it didn't do this. So I was just doing it to test to see where I was. So that I'm not just getting that opinion from my writers group who all knows me or from my friends who read me or my reps or whatever. I was going, let me see how it is with people who don't even fucking know who I am. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <clears throat> and that was my reason. And then I'd be like, okay, it only was a quarterfinal. Oh, it was a semifinal. Oh, it was a finalist. And then I would know where I stood. You know what I mean? So that was my reason. Why. So. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know when you were dealing with Austin. Um, oh, that was years ago. Yeah. I, I, I would caution people nowadays 15 uh, years ago, about though. Austin yeah, because yeah. last year was a complete debacle with that. Austin yeah. in terms of like who their readers were and, and um, yes, they, they, it was, it was, there were a lot of issues. You can just get on Twitter, look, look for Austin film festival and, yeah. and you will see all the reactions from writers who paid for coverage and were really, upset in terms of what they got in return from Austin. I think Austin right. 15 years ago, 10 years ago was like a great thing in terms, in terms of size. I think it's gotten too big now. I think they're getting too many submissions and they can't keep up with all the, all, you know, they can't find enough readers to cover all the submissions. And I think the quality right. has dropped off. Well, there's, there's, I mean, look, there's all that. There's also the fact who, who is reading. People who are reading now are are the people that we're complaining about. Not complaining about what we're pointing out about is 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 that that their breadth of knowledge of writing and cinema is reduced. They're not going to get someone who's 45, 50, 60 
who is going to be reading for Austin Film Festival. But if you pull that back 15, 20 years, those people, so the person who's 60 now, 20 years ago, he might read for Austin. He's 40 then, and his and the movies he's seen and what and, and is is way broader now. You know, what I mean, I think that mm-hmm. you know, like you made an interesting point now about they they only see what they are what it's the reinforcement of what they're curating to mm-hmm. see. Like to take mm-hmm. a chance on a piece of cinema is so rare for someone to go, Oh, I'm just going to go in and see something, you know, I, I, I'm going to go see this for whatever reason. And I've got, you know, I mean, I was watching the parallax view the other night movie that I wanted to see for a very long time that I just never got around to seeing it. I remember I like posted on Twitter. I was like, Oh yeah. Like, like, you know, like I'm going to, I'm not watching this because it's on criterion. And I'm, I, and I remember someone hit me back and said, Oh, I saw the movie recently. It doesn't hold up. And I was like, and I saw it. I saw this thing after I saw it. I was like, no, the movie totally holds up. It's a movie of its time. It's a paranoid right, thriller of right, 74. Right. It's not going to feel like a paranoid thriller of like 2020 with like different right. technology and shit. But like the story and the coolest thing about it is he makes you watch the movie and you feel like this guy's in trouble just by the way it's photographed. And I was like, fuck, man, like that's kind of cool and shit. And there's, but there's stuff about it. And I remember. You know what? And and that's a movie that enough film people know when you mention, oh, it's like Parallax View, even if they've seen it or not, don't remember it. It kind of like it like it evokes this sense of a paranoid thriller from the 70s, like that Mothman Chronicles from like the 90s. Like You can mention these things and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to let certain people know what you're going after, like tonally. You know, and if and if you don't have that that exposure to those to, to to that breadth of film or breadth of TV shows, then you're you know then you're not going to know what somebody's doing. You know, I remember we were we were writing a scene in again in the Equalizer, and I said to this woman, I said, "Oh, oh, like you know what this scene should be like? It should be like that scene in the Killer, John Woo's Killer, where he's running around with the baby in his arm and shooting shooting people in the in the thing." And they were like, "What?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it's this really cool scene." I was like, "Now, granted, they would never do that scene over here, but it was." And then like, and, and the guy from the wires just said he found he found a clip of it, you know, just to send that writer, you know. And I was like, you know, it's like again, it's never to like say your movies, what you're doing is is cliche. It's like. Here's someone who did something cool. Like, put your spin on it, and it'll be yours, and no one will recognize it. Well, I it, think the key word, the key, I'm sorry to interrupt. I think the key word you just mentioned there was exposure. And I think that's what, to go back to your support staff situation, there's just a lack of exposure. And let me put it in these terms. When we were kids, and you got in a car, and, and, the, and the music was playing, it was your parents' music. So at a young age, I was exposed to Teddy Pendergrass, the Commodores, all Diana Ross, all that Motown stuff. My mom even dabbled in a little bit Beatles, of country, so it was Kenny, Kenny Rogers and all right. that, right? So you, right. you, it was their car, you're riding right. in it, they're playing the kind, kind of music they like. Same thing right. with the TV. When we were kids, like, um, Dallas is on. This is what we're watching mm-hmm. in, in, on the family TV. These kids nowadays, I don't, again, I don't need to quit, I don't want to keep railing against Gen Z. They don't, they don't, so when they get in the car with their parents, they put their AirPods in, they're listening to their music. They're not exposed to their parents' Gen X music or Boomer music, whatever it is. So they don't know it. Same thing with the freaking TV. They now, well, not even, they're watching on their laptop or their phone and they're watching the shit that they, they won't watch. The algorithm keeps feeding them things that they're already familiar with. So they are never seeing the type of stuff that Chris is talking about. 
that whole genre of like seventies thrillers, the black exploitation movies, any any of this stuff they're not familiar with, um, because they don't have to sit in the same living room with their parents and watch the old people stuff. I put that in quotation marks. So their exposure is very limited, and also the demise of cable, the demise of cable TV, where literally I would be ripping and running on the weekends. You know, and like field hockey practice, whatever. Come in, turn the turn on TBS, and just let it play all weekend. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, just movie after movie or whatever. You know, and that's how you see stuff from the seventies or from the early eighties. Yeah, I mean, and 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 the, and the thing is, is that like everybody talks about those movies still. I remember, like on Star Trek, we would like reference stuff from that time period all the time. You know, and like to to a modern moment. I mean, and we do it a little bit here on. I mean, you do it because the thing that I know people that I guess people aren't they're not realizing is something that got made went through the same kind of ringer of shit that's got to get made now. Nine, ten people got to look at it, say yes, all this kind of stuff. Like, like people have like it's it's been vetted in a way that it's like okay, they did something to you know to get this show going or movie going because. I guarantee you, there's probably fifty other projects that were that's were said no to for each one that's going that's that someone produced, and they're like, we just can't get it, we can't get it right, we can't get the script right, we can't get the cast right, and 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 and, and a bunch of times it's like is a bunch of time. I remember Billy, remember Billy Ray was telling me one time. Sometimes getting the script right is not getting the story right. Sometimes getting the script right is getting the story right and the character right to get an actor on board. Because there's a lot of times that a scene might need to be tweaked in a certain way mm-hmm. that the actor will turn around and go, I'm going to do this now. I've, yeah, I've, yeah, I've, I read the previous draft, but I didn't like it. But you did a draft and you changed the way a certain scene, a certain certain scene could change. And all of a sudden the actor wants to do it. You know, and it's yeah. like you, and you see stuff about how someone successfully got a project going. Could be just like yours, but from 20 years ago, 30 years ago, in terms of like, character dynamics or maybe not whatever it is like things that got made got made above everything else like the war of attrition of hollywood is the shit that's left sitting on someone's desk you know or or used for the damn i mean we've all seen that photograph that go around on twitter where it's like the room where it's like three two or three walls like script stacked up to the ceiling you know it's like it's like that so much shit is sitting around you know, and, 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 and whether that's used as like a single example, or I mean, I mean, like, ask yourself, how many scripts do you have that are on PDF? You know, that you that you've read, you know, you know, several hundred yeah. at least. You know, and it's like imagine if you're printing those off. You know, and they're sitting around all stuff that you read, and the number of shit that you, the number of shit that your friends have sent you that has not been made. You know, like I can think of, <laughs> yes, I can think of one person who sent me a script that got made, you know, in 20 years. It's like, it's wow. so rare. So you have to, you have to say yeah. to yourself, you know, how many, so, so like watch the older shit. It got made. If, if it got made and there's, there's, there was so much value in that project at that time that, and everyone's decision about making a movie is kind of the same. Is this new? Is this going to make money? Is this going to attract stars? That's why, I mean, like, you know, like that's kind of the damn, 
barometer of it. The, the sensibilities of if it's a genre piece, what there's it's like it. I mean, I remember the other day I was watching part of um, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, and I was like, I know what you can say. They'd make this again today if it had never come out. You know, it's such a it was an interesting idea and the way it's the way it's told. The, the the thing that would the thing that would turn you off and this makes you like this makes you like a bad consumer of art is how it's shot. Right? Like it's shot in a way that was consistent for the way they would shoot movies that were low budget at the time as opposed to the way they would shoot it now with everything like that. But it but 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 if you can't get past that because you're so caught up in how they shoot shit now, sh- that's shame on you. But how the story on, I mean, sometimes I'll watch movies and go, oh, if I was doing this today, oh, I'd get this shot here, I'd get this shot here, I'd get this shot here. Or they'd get this shot, they'd get, oh, they're missing this shot today, 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 they would do these things. But this, and those shots would fit within the same duration. You, some Someone walk across the room and they pick something up, it's all in a single shot. Hey, you know what, I'd get, I'd get that in three shots now, but it, it wouldn't be a longer time on frame, you know, screen. So it's like there's things you can do when you watch these older projects that, that would help you as a filmmaker, help you as a writer, you know? I mean, like, I, I love it when you watch, for me, when I watch, like, films from, like, like those Billy Wilder films from the 40s and 50s, it's like he's not allowed to swear, you know? So how does he, like like, make the dialogue work without swearing? You know, and it's yeah. like now because I'm working on a show, it's a network show where they can't swear. Then it's like, where's the the inventiveness in the language to express that sense of frustration, but 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 not have it sound like I want to say something is a curse word, but I can't. <laughs> you know, that's right. So uh, before we wrap up, I was going to say this. Um, I was telling Chris. I don't know if you got a chance to see it, Chris. Uh, I saw probably one of the best action movies I've ever seen in my entire life on Netflix called it's called R. It's three R's. Yeah, R R yeah. Yeah yeah. Did I haven't you start seen it yet? I haven't seen it. Dude. It's 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 on Dude. my queue. I was probably gonna watch it tonight or tomorrow. What's it about? In, What's it about? It, it, I'm trying to think. It's a Hindu Bollywood type of a movie with these big, you know, Hindu Bollywood action stars in it. And um it's like fire and water and how they come together like with slavery and the rich and it, but it's just these two uh, powerful men come together to try to save this little girl, you know, from this little village who was, who was uh, stolen from these like upper class British, you know, people over there. And they're trying to win back their country type of a thing. And it's all centered around getting this little girl back. But they it's like Crouching, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon in its own oh. way. But but a little bit more practical in the mm-hmm. way they do the fights, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just fight scene I've never seen in my. You probably have seen Chris and you, Linnell, because you guys are big movie buffs. But I've never seen them. I was just like, this has got to be the best action movie I've ever seen. All right. It was just, I couldn't stop watching. It's three hours long, by the way. I want to prep you for that. Oof. But it's worth every single minute of it. Okay. Fair enough. What's funny to me is is that somebody if well let me just say this if someone puts out a three hour movie nowadays. I mean, you're literally just putting your nuts on the table. Like, you're just saying, blam, here it is. Like, fuck with it if you dare. Like, we are really confident in our storytelling and our abilities. And here it is. is. Here's my art. Deal with it. Fuck with it. Yeah. I'm curious to see what you guys think being the movie buffs you two are. 
No, that's, not, that's, that's, not, that's pretty much like what I was going to say now. It's like today, you know, like five years ago, you, to, to make a three-hour movie, everyone's tripping. Like, unless, it's gonna in game. Unless, it's in, unless it's in-game. Unless it's an in-game type deal, people were like, okay, we'll sit there for three hours. Yeah, but we're never going to watch it. But now it's like, you know, yeah, but you'll watch the 10-hour thing on a weekend to watch the whole series. It's like people, I mean, I feel that a movie that that's, that's over two hours now, you have to like. You're not just telling a story. You're doing like you're you're embracing what cinema can do that television can't do, in, mm-hmm. in, in like in, in my opinion, you know. And that's usually like scope of storytelling, you know, the like screen dynamics, you know, it's it's, it's all those things that you're never gonna be able to do in like a nine day schedule. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and that's what to me makes it. I use that put your art on the table. Like show it, mm-hmm. like like can you, you know? Again, keep me engaged for three hours. So yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing, though. Well, thank you All guys. Right. It was a fun little cool. episode. It's good to see you guys. I missed y'all. It's been a minute. So, <laughs> it's been a minute, man. Yeah. It's fucking been crazy. And, uh, I'm gonna change this. Uh, you'll see it. I'll, I'll tell you off screen. Uh, the the I'm gonna use one of our other songs just so you know. Okay. That we have. We have we have other theme songs too. Yeah. Um, anyway, so yeah, that's what's up. Thank you guys. This is super dope. Where are you at, Linnell? What can people follow you? You can find me on Twitter at Linnell White, L Y N E L L E W H I T E. Stand by, folks, because I will be doing a crowdfunding campaign, and um, either I'll have you guys mention on the show if I'm not here, sure. and we'll put a link in the show notes at some point. I'm gonna try and have a level that's specifically for writers, where it's like. If you contribute to the crowdfunding campaign, I'll read X amount of pages of your script, and maybe we'll get on Zoom and nice. talk about it. That'll be one of the one of the um, you know um, perks. Co- the perks of of contributing to the of donating the crowdfunding campaign. So um, stand nice. by for like that. that. Awesome, cool. What about you, Chris? <clears throat> I am at unauthorized CBD on Twitter and Instagram, but I haven't been on really in the last two months. It's been a little too hard. I know exactly how you feel, dude. A little too hard to be staying on with the with the with the show and 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 also because because the world's turned to bullshit in the last two months after hearing this damn these January six fucking uh uh the, the January six hearings are must see TV for the summer. That's I mean, what I heard. I, riveting, riveting. Like I am sitting there just glued, engaged. I was like, this is better than any, you know. This is I what like Pamela told me. She said oh, it's the man. best thing on TV right yeah, now. Yeah, it, it really. And I wish I wish they were doing more in prime time because it's like, okay, right. settle in on my couch at 7 o'clock and just sit here and, and, and watch these hearings. It is must-see TV this summer. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. When Trump tries to grab the wheel of the limo. Right, right, right. And tries to right. choke your Secret Service guy. Right. Because- what? That's in, the, that's in the TV show. That's in the movie. As soon as that was described, I was like, I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm, I'm like, I'm in the scene. I'm seeing it. I'm like, how are we, what, at what point are we going to wow. have this in this? It's, it's got to be a TV show. I see. Yeah. This yeah. is a TV it, show. It has to be. The, the thing that's fucked up is if you wrote that in a, if you wrote that in anything where the president 
is trying to, <laughs> it's trying to reach in the back of the seat of the limo. Not the limo, the thing called the beast. So that's beast. The, so that's the beast. So that's the which SUV. is like a tank. Which is like that's a tank. A, yeah, yeah, the S- oh. yeah, the SUV. He's reaching back to grab the wheel, and then when the Secret Service guy like grabs his hand, he it's grabs that guy by the sir. neck. Yeah. yeah, I'm just like that would not be that would not be believed. Would not be believed. But dude did it, which is fucking oh, hilarious to me. Story. Oh, that was okay. at the la- that was at the surprise hearing they had this week. Uh, yeah, surprise hearing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, um, and the, she, who was who was aid? You know, she came. and yeah, the aide laid and it the, all out. The funniest thing was. She's up here talking about how he's throwing plates against the wall. That's another scene in the show. And he's also trying to, and and you know what they say? Hang on, hang on, slow slow down, Chris, slow down. Describe the, the, oh, so he's he's mad about how Bill Barr had turned on him. He throws his breakfast or lunch against the wall, but ketchup is sliding down the wall. That image right there. Ketchup sliding down the White House wall. And Cassidy and some of the other porters are in there trying to like clean it up and stuff. Wow. I'm like, this is in the show. Now, this the, is the, the show. So there's that, but but uh, but they asked her, was there other times that he threw, um, he threw the White House china? And she says something like he was prone to doing that little, you know, that trick where magicians try to pull the t- tablecloth, you know, yeah, and, and yeah. Not, he yeah. should have do the, like like he would do that all the time, and 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 just and it wouldn't work. Well, he, well, he wasn't trying to pull the. He was doing it out of anger. He was doing it out of anger. anger. He wasn't strong. He he probably wasn't strong enough to flip the table itself because these are large tables that probably go back to like the the Jefferson era or whatever. So he would just (laughs) yank the tablecloth like a child. It was a lot of child tantrums going on in the beast in at his at his lunch table. Wild. Interesting. That show is going to be off the chain. I'm telling you. Shit is crazy. Are they going to do a show? I, I mean, no, I don't know. Somebody's, Billy Ray's probably already working on it. Billy Ray's Bullard. probably already working on it. Oh, oh no, he is. Yeah. I, I remember he, I saw him a couple months ago. He was writing something. He's doing a, a movie about the January 6th thing. But he's, but he's probably got to update it now because he's got shit to update now. Exactly. <laughs> he's Funny. got shit to update. Um <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to break out into song right there. <laughs> it's like, I can't believe this guy. I can't believe. I just like, it's hilarious. We knew, we knew it was bad, but we didn't know like the level. Like I didn't think ketchup be, will be on the walls. That's where I was. And I didn't think my God. And, and so I'm just picturing the beast. He's reaching for the steering wheel and it's swerving and, and out of control. And, and on the he's white house. In the back, reaching up to the Yes. Back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Because he, wanted to go to the cap- because he wanted to go to the Capitol and be with the other insurgents storming it and try and maybe try and change the result of the election. Uh, and the Secret because- Service was like, no, you can't go there. We got to take you to the White House. The, White- the Capitol's not secure. Like, mm-hmm. you're the president. You're going back to the White House. Yeah. He didn't care because he, he didn't care because he, had the, because he had the magnetic weapons detectors taken down at his rally and, and he was like, those people won't harm me. Those are my people. That's why he thought he could go to the to the Capitol and and fuck and and and, and fucking um, so, so so he could help storm the Bastille and you yes. know and and just fucking and, and, walk, and on, walk on to the the was it the Senate floor or the House floor that was uh, tallying the the, the doing the electoral the, votes the Senate, the Senate, floor, the Senate floor, the Senate floor, right? Senate floor. 
Yeah. Walk on. That's right. Because because Prince presides over the Senate. So he would walk yeah. on the Senate floor and like really challenge the results right there in, per, in person with his insurgents backing him up uh-huh. as army. It was almost a fucking coup. We came this close to a fucking mm-hmm. coup. It came down to Secret Service guys and this little Cassie Hutchinson, who was like 25, keeping the shit all together because it was so wild. But again, as storytellers, the hearings are good to watch because someone has given you a narrative description of events and then you're able to visualize it. Um, I find, I find it really compelling. It's all really compelling. When do they come on? It depends. They're they're different times. They're different times. Well, thank you. Awesome. And I'm your host, Hilliard Guest. You guys can find me on Twitter at Hilliard Guest. You guys can follow the show. Screenwriters are are on Twitter. Any questions, screenwritersrantroom at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, whatever you guys listen to. Um, we're all over the world. Um, Spotify, everything. What else we got, Chris? I know we got a damn website we need to update. Uh, the website is screenwritersrr.com, and you can find a link to support the show, um, which is our, which is on our Patreon page. I think some of those uh, promotional items, I sent some stuff out to some people that were waiting on stuff couple of weeks ago um so awesome. uh yeah so yeah uh, the, yeah so it's dot com, and there'd be a link to take you to the patreon page it's just like support the show indeed indeed thank you um we appreciate that and uh everybody join with me for 2022 you guys know how we do it on the rant room on the show we keep it real we keep it opinionated. We keep it what everybody. 2022. Is it 2022 or 2022? See, I 2022 never know something. We change it all the time. I don't yeah. know. Okay. <laughs> Love to y'all. Thank y'all. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye. Bye-bye. Yeah, man. I got something to get off my chest. Everyone got one. What's your opinion? This is the rap room. Tongues won't be bitten. Ain't no rules. Just spill it. And anybody can get it. No limit. We get to kill it. You tuning into the thrillers. And no, ain't no stop. Any topic, even the random I hope that you're ready, we entering in the zone soon We on a grown shit, welcome to the rap room